The team at Education First believes the world is better when people understand each other. Since 1965, Education First has helped millions of people explore new countries and cultures and see the world. You can join Education First by opening up your home to an international student and get paid for it as a host family. Education First has a school in Point Loma actively recruiting host families. Learn more at efhomestay.com. That's efhomestay.com. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., they help high achievers enjoy their lives more fully, manage their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's Corient.com. Freeway Exit is a podcast from KPBS Public Media about the past, present, and future of San Diego's freeways. Learn the forgotten history of the San Diegans who built our freeway network and the activists who fought against them. Freeway Exit explores exciting and radical solutions for building a more sustainable and equitable San Diego. Listen and follow Freeway Exit from KPBS wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for joining us for this Voice of San Diego podcast bonus episode. Last week, we had KPBS reporter Andrew Bowen on talking about his new podcast, Freeway Exit, dedicated to the past, present, and future of freeways. I cut a shorter version of that conversation between Bowen and our editor, Andrew Keats, for last week's show. Now, I have for you a full, unabridged version of that conversation, where Bowen and Keats unleash their unbridled passion for freeways and transportation and public policy. They talk more about some of the archival footage and story shape for Bowen's podcast, how freeways emerged throughout the country, and freeway revolts. If you like our show, I think you'll like Freeway Exit, too. It's a good chat. Enjoy. We are now joined in the great Voice of San Diego podcast studio by KPBS reporter Andrew Bowen, making his second Second. appearance on the show. First in the studio, though. You're here now because you have a... Uh, fantastic project, pr- program, new Podca- podcast. It's called a podcast. Okay, yeah. it's a podcast. <laughs> I don't know if you like were. This thing yeah. that we're on right it's a show. Now. It's yeah. a new show you have um, called Freeway Exit. Yeah. Right? It is a, a history of the creation and the protests against and the movement for and the funding of freeways in San Diego. Mm-hmm. Past, present, and future. Past, yeah, that's present. what that's sort of the tagline is. Um, you know, there's a lot of forgotten history about our freeways. Most of us have come to San Diego uh, after they were already built. And we kind of take for granted that a lot of those spaces used to be something else before those, well, all of them used yeah. to be something before they were built. Um, but we don't know that history. And freeways are just at the center of so much of our political debates in San Diego around uh, transportation and climate action and housing. So it just seemed like a real ripe topic for uh, something you know, a bit longer form than what we're used to from KPBS. Yeah, we're also sort of getting into an era where like the creation of the freeways was long enough ago mm-hmm. that even the older people in your life probably don't remember a time without them. Yeah, whereas, absolutely. Whereas like 
you know, in the 70s or 80s, there were people f- for whom the creation of a freeway was fresh. Mm-hmm. San Diego without them was in their memory bank, right? You know, th- there are fewer and fewer people around for whom that's the case. Yeah, absolutely. And it's like the the freeways, I mean, the, the first freeway in San Diego, I mean, this is like right in episode one, the first freeway that ever came to San Diego is the 163. <sighs> At the time, it was called the Cabrillo Parkway. Um, and it, it started basically uh, where more or less where the eight intersects the 163 now. And it went down uh, through Balboa Park to uh, downtown. And so that was 1948 when it was built. Um, but then it wasn't until the mid 50s. And we talk about this in episode two um, the, after the passage of the Interstate and Defense Highways Act mm-hmm. uh, and this huge infusion of federal spending. Uh, for freeways across the entire country when we really start to see the freeway in San Diego take off and shape how our city is actually built. Yeah. So the 163, I mean, the 163 is 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 fascinating because it's it's part of a history of what we've done with freeways. It's also a part of a history of like what we've done to Balboa Park, mm-hmm. right? Like mm-hmm. the, the for, for a place that calls that its crown jewel, Yes, I don't know that we that our actions are especially consistent with the moniker. <laughs> yeah. Um, Let's th- put a freeway. There aren't many crown jewels that have, that are cut up by a freeway yeah. that are in the flight path. Right. Uh, <laughs> that have a landfill in them. Yeah. That are occupied with a uh, bus maintenance yard or a, you know, city truck maintenance yard. Mm-hmm. Right. There, there's a lot of stuff that is like generally considered unwanted, like not in my backyard stuff. Yes. That somehow ended up, directly in the center of our supposed crown jewel. It's a crown jewel but with character. Yeah. Yeah. The- I mean, one of the one yeah. of the one of my early memories in San Diego was hiking on the bridal trail when a friend of mine was visiting and for anyone who doesn't know, the bridal trail goes right next to the freeway. It's runs like right parallel to the freeway. And it's a really it just the contrast between the beautiful setting, the 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 walls of the canyon, and um, you know, right now they're all covered in wildflowers. Mm-hmm. Um and the contrast between that and the um feeling that you get just like standing right next to all of that traffic and the noise just like not even being able to hear yourself think. I, I remember hiking that trail with friends and thinking, okay, I guess this is how San Diego does parks. Um, and and then, you know, I think a lot of us in San Diego have had that moment where we see the pictures of Cabrillo Canyon before the freeway was built yeah. with the lily pond under uh, the Cabrillo Bridge. And, you know, it, it's there. there is, I think, for a lot of us, a sense of um, loss of, of what uh, the park used to be before uh, so much of the, that space was taken over by cars. And yet, you have this tidbit in the the show. What w- what was the vote in favor of the creation of the Cabrillo Freeway? Yeah, it was in 1941. So people may know that there's a part of the city charter that requires a public vote for any uh, dedication of any uh, part of Balboa Park that's not parkland. So uh, in order to uh, give Caltrans, at the time they were called the California Division of Highways, uh in order to give them that space and to, to build the freeway, there had to be a public vote. And that happened in 1941, and it passed with 89% of the vote. 89% 89% of San Diego voters said, yes, let's put a freeway through Balboa Park. What Could you think of something that could get 89% of the vote in San Diego <laughs> no, right now? No, literally nothing. No, not even nothing in my mind could I think of that that, that many people would agree on. But, you know, and we talk about this in, in the podcast, like... There was a real sense of uh, that freeways were progress, that this is the future. And, there, you know, uh, I mean, at the time, this was before World War II, but 
um, you know, in the aftermath and after the freeway was built, uh, people had a lot of disposable income. They were buying cars in greater numbers. Mm -hmm. uh, they there was a, a greater appetite to for people to have their own homes, not live in uh, you know close quarters anymore. So that's you know why we ended up with uh, all the suburban sprawl that we had here. And so uh, yeah, it, it's it's pretty crazy to think that. And, and you know, if you were to ask someone if or if if we were to imagine an, an alternate universe where the freeway was not built through Balboa Park and we were to have to hold that vote again today. How many people do you think would vote for it? I mean, I have no idea, but I know it's not 89%. No, no. I mean, what one of the things that struck me in that episode is you talk about there was there was like a common vision that this would be good for the growth of San Diego. This would be part of it becoming a bigger city, allowing it to punch alongside L.A. and San Francisco. Um, we spent a lot of time debating about like whether there are good like whether one idea or another is a good way to do that. But even before we get to the idea of like litigating any specific proposal, I don't think there's any shared vision now that we want to do that. I think there's like a group of people who would like San Diego to be bigger and to grow, to uh, pursue more economic opportunity. But then there's like as much a group of people who are like, no, what we should do is stay like this, mm -hmm. stay as we are, it, it, or maybe even move backwards some, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. Uh, and, and that's like... That's one of the, the the sort of historical juxtapositions that I that I drew out of the show is like, oh, there was a time where there was a, a shared vision that San Diego could be bigger and more. Yeah, I mean, I I I couldn't tell you like which side has the majority. No, uh, no, no, no. I, I, mean, I think no. that um, it would take a lot of very sophisticated polling to figure out, you know, how many people in San Diego want the city to grow. And how many don't. Um, but I think it doesn't really matter what people think because the city is growing and it will continue to grow and there's nothing that we can do to stop it. Mm -hmm. But bringing this back to freeways, I mean, the real conversation we have to ask ourselves uh, to, to have in San Diego is uh, as we grow, are we going to continue to invest in the freeway? Mm -hmm. And uh, or uh, given all of the commitments that we've made around climate change and reducing our uh, dependence on cars is there an alternative uh, where, you know, we can see a future where fewer people are driving, people live closer to work, live closer to all of the amenities that they need day to day and don't need to drive on the freeways as often? Mm -hmm. Or if they do drive on the freeways, it's for a much shorter distance. Mm -hmm. And if that's the future that we can see, like, what do the freeways look like? Mm -hmm. How much space is left over? Uh, you know, the, the congestion that we experience, it's really only for a couple hours each day. Uh, outside of that, the freeways are functioning very well at moving a lot of people very fast. Um, but during those peak hours when there's a lot of demand to use the freeways all at the same time, that's when you experience congestion. And, and you know, people from Sandag will tell you if we can reduce the number of cars on the freeways during peak hours by about 10%, we can get speeds back to normal. So if there is a future where we have excess capacity on our freeways, then what do we do with that ex excess capacity? Do we just keep it like a freeway because that's the best use of that public land? Mm -hmm. Or is there a future where we can imagine some other type of use for that land? Well, so you have some uh, some proposals that you go through in the show mm -hmm. that are not specifically you know new freeway expansion proposals, but freeway mitigation, freeway decommissioning, that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. What are what are what are some of those uh those ideas that you that you go through in the show? 
Yeah, well, the the first one we talk about is um, decommissioning the 163 through Balboa yeah. Park. And this is an idea that um, circulates on Twitter every now and again. Uh, there was, you might have seen at some point, this um, uh, Twitter account that generates images of streets and freeways without cars, uh, you know, pedestrianized mm-hmm. streets and everything. Um, it's AI image generation. And they did that for the 163, showing this beautiful park with somebody biking and a you know a line of flowers under the Carrillo Bridge. And, um, and it really went viral. I think that that says, you know, people are interested in imagining that future, even if they can't see it happening anytime soon. Um, and so, you know, one, the, the, the most radical solution to that question or the, the most radical answer to that question of what do we do with the excess capacity in this future where people are driving a lot less, the most radical answer is let's decommission a freeway, just completely remove that from the network and do something else with that land. Um, this has been done before. Like yeah. It's not something that is totally out of the question or that there is no roadmap for us to follow. Rochester, New York decommissioned their, centri- their inner loop freeway. Um, and built a boulevard uh, in episode five, which is going to be dropping on Tuesday. Uh, so folks can should you know subscribe now and, and um, listen to that when it drops. Uh, we're talking about the that's freeway exit available freeway on exit. all of your podcast platforms. wherever you listen to podcasts. You listen to podcasts. That's right. Um, so uh, in in San Francisco after the 1989 earthquake, uh, two freeways in the city were so severely damaged that the city decided it was prohibitively expensive to reconstruct them to a higher mm-hmm. seismic standard. So they decommissioned those freeways and they redeveloped that land. And um, surprise, surprise, it's been a universally lauded success. Uh, we, we dig into in, in episode five into the concept of traffic evaporation, where, uh, when you reduce the capacity of a road network, uh, it doesn't automatically just mean that traffic gets worse and stays that way. People adjust their behaviors, uh, according to the capacity that's available to them. Um, so, uh, yeah, decommissioning is definitely the most radical, uh, idea. There are also ideas around lids, uh, you know, freeway lids, which we have one already in, in city Heights, Toralta park, which we talk about in episode four. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but there's also a proposal to build a lid over, uh, I five in Barrio Logan, which is arguably one of the most impacted communities in San Diego by freeways. Um, so yeah, those are some of the ideas we talk about. Um, yeah. also Golden like Hill, I, you know, I, I live in Golden Hill. There yes, used to be, there was a, the 94. Yeah. There was a, a robust conversation for a while about mm-hmm. a freeway lit over the 94 kind of stitch back together Golden Hill and Sherman Heights, which were at one point one community before, mm-hmm. before the creation of the 94. There's even been a discussion about the downtown to Bankers Hill freeway caps on the, that, the that part of the yeah. S curve. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the thing about freeway lids is that, uh, there, there's a lot of support for them uh, uh, because they're a very um, elegant and beautiful way to reconnect two sides of a freeway that have been divided. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're also, uh, in most cases, prohibitively expensive. Yeah. They, they can cost up to a billion dollars. And uh, there's a program in the bipartisan infrastructure law called Reconnecting Communities, where the U.S. Department of Transportation is giving out grants to local and state governments in order to mitigate some or you know repair some of the harms that were done with the freeway boom of the mid-century, particularly in low-income communities of color. 
And uh, that program has, I think, a little over a billion dollars. So uh, if they were to take, you know, if they were to take all that money and dedicate it to one project. One cap. Yes. (laughs) So so at the same time that. Please be us. Right. (laughs) I mean, and well, and they they actually announced the the first round of awards. There was an application for uh, the Freeway Lidden Barrio Logan, and it was not given funding. And if you look at the number of projects that applied for that money versus the ones that were actually awarded it. Uh, there's just a huge gap. I mean, the, there's nowhere near enough resources to mitigate all of the damage that was done by freeways, and lids are not a scalable solution. Yeah. Unfortunately. Yeah, I mean, it's just remarkable to think about. You know, you, you talk a lot about the freeway, the role of the freeway throughout the country, not just here in San Diego, although the, your discussion of the history in San Diego goes very deep as well. But uh, thinking about all the different places that would have submitted and been deemed more worthy than mm-hmm. Barrio Logan, which is like, you know, there, there's not really a more pat description mm-hmm. of environmental justice than the story of Barrio Logan, whether it's freeways mm-hmm. or zoning mm-hmm. or uh, industry the like it sort of hits all of the boxes. So to think that there could be other people out there who are submitting a measure that scores better mm-hmm even on the first round of funding yeah is sort of staggering if you just think about the size of the country and how many times that tragedy is playing out elsewhere yeah i think part of the issue is that um i mean it's a brand new program and so uh Sa- sandag was the agency that submitted that application i think that um they're probably still learning a little bit about what the department of transportation is looking for mm-hmm. um so you know i expect that if they do apply for another grant uh, that they'll maybe refine that application a little bit. Um, but you're right. I mean, the need so far outstrips the demand and the infrastructure law alone is just like kind of a, it's not nothing, but it's not uh, you know enough to actually fix all of our roads and all the other infrastructure mm-hmm. that um, that bill is supposed to, to spend money on. I also uh, I want to mention that um, Caltrans has its own Reconnecting Communities Companion Program, mm-hmm. um, and they're calling it highways to boulevards. So they're actually asking local jurisdictions to give them ideas about how to uh, decommission a freeway and turn it into a boulevard. And, uh, you know, we haven't seen the first round of grants in that application, but this is something that I don't think San Diego is really thinking about. Mm -hmm. Uh, Where is a freeway that we could actually get rid of? Yeah. Um, have you thought this through? Is it you have an idea? Is there a freeway you want to get rid <laughs> yeah. of? Well, okay. I, I'm, I'm, I not, I'm not asking you to like take a position and say we should no. do this, but I mean like I'm I'm just running through my head what would be fitting. Yeah. So I, I don't want to give away episode six. Okay. But I can tell because I want folks to listen, uh-huh. but I can tell you that there is a freeway removal project in San Diego that has already won unanimous support from the city council and the mayor. And okay. and and I'm guessing that you don't know where can, it is. Can you tell me what what year that, that... 2015. 2015. Okay. 2015. It really flew below the radar. Um, but it is, and, and I, you know, I've talked to a, a lot of people in city government about um this particular project or idea. Yeah. And no one has ever heard of it. Huh. And it's basically just one of those cases where uh it's kind of tucked away in a planning document somewhere. And uh, there was never really a serious conversation about how to make it happen. Hmm. And it's uh, just been collecting dust ever since. That sounds familiar. With Are you the, thinking the... of all the freeways? <laughs> the I'm, I'm running through my mental in- inventory. I'm trying okay, to think I'll, of I'll, I'll just say it's way. not a full freeway. It is a okay. section or a portion of a freeway. Okay, great. 
Um, all right. Well, that's good stuff. So now that you have a uh, wonderful history that in this was uh, episode three was dear to my heart. I think uh, Southcrest is a very fascinating community here in San Diego. Yeah. Um, the, it, it's sort of a picture of a lot of different problems that San Diego has all, all in one place. And it also has this history that you go through of uh, a community defeating a freeway proposal. Mm-hmm. There was uh, long and short of it. There was supposed to be a freeway between the five and the eight Oh five that was going to be a straight line directly through the South Crest community. Yeah. Yeah. And I was curious, like if, I mean, you've been in San Diego longer than I have. Um, did, had you heard this history before? I have, I did some reporting on this. I never actually, okay. it never turned into a story, right. uh, but uh, you'll, you'll have to take my word for it. No, I've I believe been, you. I've it's been a- to the, I've been to the area where the freeway was going to be and is yeah. now the a big, uh, mound, a big, big dirt mound, basically along the, the riverbed there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, on the other side of where the, all the housing that SEDC built. Yeah, I mean, I was surprised by how uh, um, how few people were aware of this history because to me it seems like just an amazing story yeah. of what um, people in San Diego were able to accomplish. Um, but yeah, so the two fifty two uh, would have been between the five and eight oh five. The the agreement between the city and the state division of highways was signed in nineteen sixty eight. Uh, so that was basically because uh, freeways have to use city right of way. There has to be some cooperation between the city and the state, and so um, the this uh, sailed through the city council with ninety seconds of discussion. Uh, I actually um, found the old tape. Uh, went I was, to that. I was extremely impressed by that. I, Where did you find that? Oh my gosh! This like this is a whole other story or whole other conversation. But um, there are like real to real tapes in the city clerk's uh, archives. Oh man! That's um, awesome. With uh, and and there's one real to real tape player at the La Jolla Library. You have to book an appointment with a volunteer who will um, digitize that audio for you. But uh, it's recorded in double speed, and sometimes it's actually backwards. So there's a lot of <laughs> A lot of trial and error, and I was basically like listening. Sergeant Peppers. Yeah, I was listening to the he- with the headphones, trying to pick out some keywords, following along with the minutes of the meeting, which are very sparse. But anyway, um, so this agreement was signed in 1968. 1969 is when Leon Williams becomes the first uh, Black City Council member in San Diego, and he represents Southcrest. And so as the state starts seizing property in Southcrest to build the freeway using eminent domain, uh, people really start getting worked up about this. And so he had put a lot of time and, and, and effort into organizing that community and trying to get folks empowered to feel like they actually have a voice at City Hall. And so that started then this grassroots campaign in order to tell the state, no, we don't want a freeway here. We don't need a freeway here. Uh, and, and, uh, you know, think about alternatives and think about the consequences of actually building this freeway, not just, uh, the, I mean, the, the consequences on the people who live there, not just the people who are displaced from that community, but the people who continue to live there, mm-hmm. all of the businesses in that area, think of the consequences on our property tax rolls and our sales tax, you know, like they literally tore down all of this land that was producing value for us, you know, for taxpayers, you know, I mean, look, and like if you get the some of the history of other freeways that people tell, and some of this is is word of mouth, sort of oral history type stuff. I don't know how true it all of it is, but you talk to people about like the history of North Park. Mm-hmm. It's like that was a thriving business district, and then they built the eight and Mission Valley, and it stopped being a thriving business district because they could build them bigger and and you know more plentiful 
down. And so you, you know, they're used to the university used to be filled with department stores Mm -hmm. and then the department stores moved to mission Valley. And like all of that sort of like winners and losers and, you know, the, just the consequences of actions of any of these decisions were just seemed largely outside of the discussion for 30 years, 40 years, you know, roughly around and up until the point that you're discussing about uh, when the residents of Southcrest stood up, which was part of a trend statewide. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, a, a lot of forgotten history and the and you're right the 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 campaign against highway 252 was part of a much larger movement that historians call the highway revolts or the freeway revolts mm-hmm. um there was another case of san diegans protesting the widening of the 163 through balboa park and um you know trying to prevent a lot of the trees along that um a freeway from being cut down so that we could accommodate more vehicles there um, but you know, the, the 252 is, uh, I mean, there were protests against freeways in San Diego that were not successful. Um, but I think the 252 is a really beautiful example of what all of the land that we devote to freeways in our inner city could be used for if mm-hmm. they weren't freeways. So after Caltrans was ordered for the second time by the, uh, California transportation commission to abandon this project, mm-hmm. don't build the freeway, stop planning it and give that land back, sell the land back to the city. Um, after that happened, there was, I mean, we won't go into the stories of the redevelopment agencies and, and <laughs> some of the funny business that yeah. was going on there, particularly with the one that uh, handled all of this redevelopment it, in Southcrest. Yes. But, and, and this project is specifically, it's a ripe vein, the whole area. There's a lot of, there's a lot of urban history right there. So much yeah. to talk about, but, yes, um, yes. but you know, if you look at that neighborhood today, uh, there's, I mean, we start episode three at Cesar Chavez elementary school where there are kids learning, playing on the, on the playgrounds, um, you know, they were, uh, the, um, you know, parents going to pick them up, uh, on foot. Um, this is a walkable community yeah. and, uh, and there was a lot of housing that was built. There were parks. And, um, I think, you know, when we're thinking about food deserts and, and a lot of these communities that don't have access to fresh foods, um, because that freeway was not built, Southcrest got its own grocery store and the first grocery store in that community in more than 30 years when it was built. So um, there's a lot of, uh, I think that that case study kind of shows San Diegans, or I hope it will allow San Diegans to imagine, okay, if this freeway were not here, maybe I would have to take a different route to work, or maybe it would take me a little bit longer to drive somewhere. But what would we get in return? What is the opportunity that comes with uh, decommissioning a freeway. And if we were to make that choice, how could we as a community have a conversation about what we want out of it? So the, the, you have this comment in the, the so the, there's the first meeting you find with the 90 seconds to, into a, to a unanimous vote. And then you have the second meeting where mm. the city council rejects it. And there's, you know, they, they pack the, the house with volunteers, mm. um, including one person who, Maybe a surprise. Cert, I, I would imagine it. Your ears per- perked up when uh, when this person identified themselves. Yeah. But it was the head of the San Diego Chamber of Commerce, right? Who spoke against the freeway project, not yeah. for the freeway project, uh, with a a pretty modern argument, I guess I would say. Yeah, I think so. Um, it was it was actually the California Transportation Commission meeting, uh, okay, and they okay. the the city council actually revoked its support for the freeway in 1978. Um, that is one meeting that I didn't have the time to find in on those real to real tapes, but it, it's out it's there. Yeah. Um, and uh, so the the CTC held their meeting in Ontario, uh, several hundred, you know, more than 100 miles outside of San Diego. So they 
uh, chartered buses to bring people who live in this community up to this meeting so that they could testify in person and tell these state policymakers why building the freeway was not necessary. So, yes, it's a packed room. Um, there's uh, you know poster boards showing alternatives. And I think because of this grassroots organizing that at this point had been taking place for more than 15 years and all of the, um, you know, winning over of hearts and minds of, of the folks who, uh, you know, often see themselves as the ones who get to decide what happens and what doesn't. Um, the president of the Chamber of Commerce, Mike Madigan, spoke before the, the CTC and he said, if we... Uh, there was a commissioner who asked him, so what about National City? National City wants this freeway built because they're afraid that if we don't build the freeway, all of their local streets are going to be overwhelmed with traffic and they're going to have to widen their local streets to accommodate that traffic. And they're left, you know, paying the bill for for the development that's occurring in other communities. And uh, his response was, if we allow Southcrest and, and Southeast San Diego at large to develop their own commercial quarters, give these people opportunities to have their own businesses in their own communities, you're not going to add traffic to the freeway system. You're going to take it off the freeway system. If you can drive a half a mile or a mile or a mile and a half to a grocery store and never get on a freeway, um, you know, that trip, whereas previously you had to drive to a different neighborhood in another community in order to get your groceries, that's a trip that's never happening, that mm -hmm. it just mm -hmm. disappears because you have access to your daily needs within the community. And this was a, a very progressive argument at the time, certainly for an organization like the Chamber of Commerce to be making. But it's also a conversation that we're still having in San Diego. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that that was part of what struck me because on the one hand, yeah, like it's it's very progressive to to be thinking in those terms. And from a transportation perspective, you know, I think that's what you would expect to hear from like, that's what that's the type of thought that journalists go go to think tanks to get now. Right. Um, on the other hand, it was like a little bit heartbreaking to me because the truth is that Southcrest doesn't have thriving commercial corridors right now. Mm -hmm. um, Southcrest didn't, you know, for other reasons, it's not I'm not I'm not suggesting they would be better off if the freeway had been built, but mm -hmm. the freeway wasn't built. And then the city didn't invest in Southcrest and didn't provide a thriving walkable community even one comparable to other underserved communities like Barrio Logan or City Heights nearby or even National City um you know there there is a grocery store there um and you know there there are you know Cherokee has uh, it's like 90% of teachers at Cherokee are uh experienced so you know there there are community assets in 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 Southcrest by all means um but if you, you know, you know, if you drive through their commercial corridors, that they, they they didn't get the economic activity that that you would have expected. And so, hearing the awareness that you know influential people had for what was potentially a, a benefit of of keeping out this this, and then not seeing the follow through, and going through Southcrest and saying, you know, the truth is, Southcrest remains as as underserved a community as we have in San Diego. Um, it's it, it, it's I, I just think of it, you know, I guess the best way to put it would be a missed opportunity. Yeah. I mean, it by Southcrest is by no means alone in that regard. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, what was happening at the time in the the 60s and 70s, well, 50s, 60s and 70s, as San Diego was really investing 
uh, in suburban sprawl. Uh, and the reason actually for the 252, why Caltrans or this division of highways wanted to build the 252 was they were developing a lot of these suburban style communities to the east, mm. Bay Terraces and um, uh, Encanto, these communities that- Paradise Hills. And, uh, yeah, and they needed, they, the argument was they needed a freeway to get them directly to downtown, to right. the job centers. And so as, but, you know, setting this, the freeway aside, even before that was happening, um, the community of Southcrest was already f- um, being neglected mm-hmm. because the suburbs and the suburbs that San Diego was building within its own borders mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, were where all of the focus was. This was, I mean, this was the area of era of white flight where, you know, people were leaving the cities, the the older communities and um, this was where, you know, the 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 newer communities were where San Diego was investing its uh, public money and, and, you know, where they were giving it the attention. And so uh, this is actually and, and this sort of turned into a feedback loop where there was disinvestment in these um, more urban, older communities. And uh, that in turn devalued the property. Right. And so when the state was looking for where to build their freeways, the freeways with the lowest land costs were the easiest targets. And this this was the case with Southcrest. It was the case with Barrio Logan and National City. And a lot of these um, communities of color that were really left with um, really devastating consequences, uh, w- you know, in the cases where they were not able to stop the freeway. And so, and you, you sort of talk about the, what seemed to me like a uh unintended consequences maybe that's overly overly kind to the sort of planners who who put these place things in place but the the federal government in its pursuit of the highway system didn't seem to envision what was going to happen locally mm-hmm. they they were looking at a map of a 50 state united states and thinking how can we connect Cities to each cities other. Cities to each other. Yes. And didn't give as much thought to what would happen in the cities with the freeway. Right. And so um, you maybe you could tell us a little bit about the people who were who who aren't quite so innocent in that in, in that story. But basically, uh, the federal government expected free, freeways to bypass cities and mm-hmm. then you would you would go very far, very fast, and then you'd get off and do some local roads. And, and But the other people said, no, 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 why don't we put this thing right down through the middle? Yeah, I wouldn't say it was the federal government so much as it was President Eisenhower. Okay. Um, so Eisenhower was a, a champion of the freeway system. He led the charge to pass the Interstate and Defense Highways Act in 1956. And... Um, just briefly, I'll, I'll say that part of the reason he was so interested in this is that in 1919, when he was in the military, he was part of what's called what was called the Transcontinental Motor Convoy, where um, they took a battalion uh, from Washington, D.C., decided that we're going to have them drive across the country to San Francisco, and we're going to use this as an experiment to see how ready are we for uh, another war, because World War I had just ended. How ready are how ready is our infrastructure for that? And it was a total disaster. They got stuck in mud. They, they averaged five miles per hour as people, you know, if you exclude rest breaks, they, they were traveling five miles an hour across the entire country. So he was really scarred by that experience. And um, brought that drive for a better road system to his presidency. Um, the thing is, he was not anticipated, and he saw the freeway system as a means of moving troops, 
of connecting cities to each other across long distances, but he never intended for Moving it to freight. yes, and, and but but he never intended for it to lead to suburban sprawl. Yeah. Um, this is something that people had t- told me in many different interviews uh, that I had been doing for this, but I was never able to find a primary source for it okay. until somebody sent me this law review article from the seventies where they actually looked into. Um, what Eisenhower wanted out of the interstate system. And he had actually commissioned a study in the 50s uh, that said, that was asking, uh, you know, like, how can we kind of pump the brakes on this uh, freeway building? Because he was watching a lot of these neighborhoods get demolished and and was really, um, you know, not really thrilled about it. There were other folks in the federal government or in his administration who were also looking at how much money the federal government was spending. Mm-hmm. And the, the urban neighborhoods were the most expensive freeways to build. I mean, if you're building a freeway in the middle of nowhere, that's pretty cheap land. But if you're building it through downtown San Diego, you're going to have to pay a really hefty price for that land and not to mention the engineering costs and everything. And this is all before CEQA. So, you know, it would be much more expensive today. Um, so, yeah, and it is. And so, uh, yeah, he, uh, you know, tried to sort of um, steer things in a slightly different direction. Um, but by the time he had really managed to um, come up with an alternative, uh, the freeway built, the train had left the station. There was um, the, the and also the other element here is that Congress had been lobbied by the freeway lobby. The, yeah. the the contractors who were building the freeways, the developers who were able to access new land tracks to build their, you know, to build homes. And uh Which labor- literally wouldn't have been feasible if not for the freeways. That right. you know, like you it it wouldn't have even been an option to build forty five minutes from the city center a new tract of single family homes, which you know, the the attraction of a bigger house and a bigger yard would have been there already, mm-hmm. but no one wants to spend three hours going to work, right? Yeah. Or, you know, but 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 if you can turn it into a 20-minute trip, well, now all of a sudden all this stuff's unlocked. Yeah, exactly. And so, uh, you know, by the time he had tried, the, the solutions that this policy paper that he had commissioned were uh, make some more of the freeways toll roads so that they're paying for themselves. Familiar. And, right. And, uh, uh, you know, we can't imagine us talking about that in San Diego. It's like, um, what about uh, if you'd had like a transponder that could track mileage instead of using a And a, charge a, you a per mile. Oh, no, like, you're, yeah. Now you're talking socialism, yeah. Andy. <laughs> um, so the, um, the, uh, there were toll, you know, the idea was um, build more toll roads and also reroute some of these freeways. We don't have to build them necessarily through downtown. Mm-hmm. So if you want to drive from San Diego to Seattle, you could still make that drive without ever hitting a stoplight, but it's never going to take you through downtown San Francisco. Yeah. And so, um, you know, that, w- that was his alternative. But by the time, I mean, by the time these ideas were being discussed in this very small corner of the, of, of his administration, uh, you know that he he had less than a year in office so so you know the history just kind of continued and and we have the system we have now so when we talk about decommissioning or or we try to like just optimistically look forward to what what's possible right you paint a clear picture about sort of the environmental costs uh the social costs um and the and infrastructure costs the financial costs right but removing any of these things and you you Talk about how the systems have been put in place now. The bureaucracy has been put in place. That um, what allowed the the freeway system to be built as quickly and as cheaply as it is is mm-hmm. totally different now. Mm-hmm. Um, 
and maybe that's a good thing if you don't think that there should be more freeways it's mm-hmm. it's much more expensive but it you know it, it also prevents building transit very cheaply uh, or other alternatives what i think is most profound is that it would also that entire system would also make it really hard to remove a freeway mm-hmm. the life cycle of a freeway is that it got all the benefit of being built mm-hmm. in a pre-sequel world in a pre uh, many levels of checks and balances and regulatory structures. Mm-hmm. But removing it would have to come after all of those things. And you would have to have an onerous CEQA analysis yeah. on the environmental effects of not having a freeway. Right. And, and, and all the community response that I imagine would make it very difficult to remove a freeway right now. Yeah. Um, what I mean, what what is what is what is your thought about the 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 realistic possibility in San Diego, um, even if somebody decided they wanted to mm-hmm. to 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 remove that? What what it would take? So yeah, this I mean, this is a, a fundamental flaw in CEQA is that it always assumes that the status quo is the environmentally superior alternative. Right. Um. And so yeah, I mean, could it ever happen in San Diego? Um. I like I mentioned there there is already a project that won approval from the city council to remove a very small section of one freeway uh, or of the freeway so network. Say I'll that, say like, would that would that would, would that require? I mean, the, the, did they do a CEQA analysis for that? No, no, okay. it didn't. It never got that far. So okay, it, okay. It, it has not crossed that bridge yet. But could an entire section of a freeway be removed in San Diego? Um, and and what would it take to get there? Um, I don't know. Clearly now in this moment, in this political moment and, you know, listening to the discussions that are happening at Sandag, um, I don't think it's likely anytime soon. Um, but what the what I really wanted to accomplish with this podcast is to spark people's imagination, you know, that if we cannot even imagine a future where we have achieved the goals that we've set for ourselves, then aren't we just setting ourselves up for failure? And I, I just had a, the opportunity to give a presentation on this podcast to my colleagues at KPBS, and um, we're going to be having an event on June 10th about um, about uh, the future of transportation in San Diego and and what the role of the freeway plays in that. And you know what I what I told everyone is I hope that when we're older, we have the opportunity to look at our children in the eyes and tell them we did everything in our power to make the planet more livable for them and for their children. And the reality, the fact of the matter is, we cannot accomplish the um, the vision of the Paris Climate Accords, which is what scientists tell us needs to happen in order for us to prevent the worst impacts of climate change. Uh, we cannot achieve those goals of net zero emissions by mid-century without driving a lot less. And, um, you know, our, our role as journalists, I don't think, is to advocate for one policy solution over another, but it is our role to have uh, to be fostering a conversation that is grounded in reality and grounded in facts. And there have been a lot of smart people who have done a lot of very uh, sophisticated math that has found electric vehicles are not going to solve all, all of our problems. We also need to be driving a lot less, reducing our vehicle miles traveled. That is just the simple fact. and. Um, and and I hope that folks will just accept that, um, you know, that if they if they listen to this podcast and they um, really think about what kind of future we want to build in San Diego, that they acknowledge 
that, you know, these are conversations that we need to be having. Mm -hmm. Even if we're not talking about decommissioning a freeway, we still need to be talking about what we're going to do uh, to reduce people's dependence on their cars. Um, There are going to be gas powered vehicles that are still on the road well past our deadline of net zero emissions by 2035 in San Diego, which is what the climate action plan, um, uh, you know, aims for. Um, so it, I if, did find it funny. I was just thinking about like if we if tomorrow the city council voted to decommission the five, could they get it offline by 2035? No, no. <laughs> definitely not. No, definitely not, right? I mean, the, yeah, that's, the, that, like that. That's just getting that one thing done. Yeah. Right? Well, I by mean, the time that we already need to be yeah. at net zero. <laughs> I, let me amend my let me amend my yeah. answer and say that. Um, under the status quo of the system that we set up for ourselves, no, yeah. they couldn't do that. But all of these rules are things that we've imposed upon ourselves. Yeah. And so, um, you know, from an engineering perspective, absolutely, we could get that done for, by 2035. We well, would from just an have engineering to, perspective, you just put up some cones by all the ramps and just they're going to be doing there. they're going to be doing they're going to be doing that on the 163 in a couple of weeks for the rock and roll marathon the yeah. northbound lanes of the 163 through balboa park are shut down so that you know the folks who are running the marathon can can use that space and this i'm giving away a bit of episode six but there was a few uh in march um caltrans shut down a section of sr15 and invited people to walk on it and bike on it while they were doing road maintenance on on the other half of the freeway. And it was one of the most inspiring events or, or you know, like experiences that I have ever had because you, you are, you know, most of us drive on the freeways in San Diego, if not every day, at least every week or, or fairly often, but every time. And, and so we think that we know these spaces very well, but we've never experienced them outside of a car. We're always looking at all of these spaces through the windshield. And when you have the opportunity to stand on a freeway and to observe, you know, smell the smells, listen to the sounds. I mean, I heard birds chirping mm-hmm. on the freeway. And it, it's just like you really get a sense of of what we lost when we built all of this infrastructure mm-hmm. and also what could uh, be our future if we choose to take that path or, or you know, if we don't decommission a freeway, maybe we shrink it down in size a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, but there, there is, uh, you know, th- that I, I th- and I think that honestly, if, if we're talking about what is, what is the more immediate um, ideas or what are some of the more um, shorter term ideas that we could um, start talking about in order to reimagine all of this, this land that we have, a temporary freeway closure is actually a really interesting thing that I think we should be talking about and that Caltrans seems to have an appetite for because um, I think they're conscious of the impact that their infrastructure has had on a lot of these communities. And uh, yeah, they've same- like written into their planning documents these days, right? <laughs> like the principles of induced demand are like sure. now fully embraced, right? Like well, in, and, in, in their official documentation, sort of like the, yeah, the but history I, of environmental racism. It's not. It's not like just the 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 thoughts of of like outside of government progressives anymore. Right, right, and and so I think that you know having a, maybe a temporary closure of a freeway so that folks can experience it in a different way. Um, it it allows folks to. It's I think it sparks some imagination, but it also allows people to feel like they actually have an ownership over this space. It is public land. It is owned by the government, which is controlled by us, the people. And so, um, you know, when you have the chance to um, really stay in that space um, outside of a car, not be moving through it, but to actually be there, 
um, you know, you you see it differently. And there were families that were picking up trash. There were kids who were biking around, having like the best time of their lives. Um, you know, it was a really, really beautiful moment. And 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 frankly, a lot of the Caltrans staff were actually at this event, and they saw all of that happening. So I, I I'm curious to see, you know, what whether that has a uh, a trickle down effect into in in you know how Caltrans approaches um, their responsibilities with this infrastructure because um, folks I think uh, there there's clearly an appetite for people to to experience that space in a different way. That was KPBS reporter Andrew Bowen talking to Andrew Keats. We'll be back on Friday, as usual, with our weekly roundup of news with Scott, Andy, and Andrea. Andrew Keats is managing editor at Voice of San Diego. Andrea Lopez-Viafania is also managing editor at Voice of San Diego. Scott Lewis is our CEO and editor-in-chief. I'm Nate John, producer for the show. Thanks for listening. Talk soon.